0: so welcome everybody this is meditation and attachment um, this is the dyp class or the uh, deepening your practice class and we've been talking about the satipatthana sutta for the last few weeks with a little bit of, of interspersing of uh, metta practice and tonight i wanted to talk about the fourth um, of the satipatthana suttas dhamma we covered uh, the body we covered feeling tones um we covered mind um, and if you look at the, those as a as a grouping um it's the the sensory uh, arrays or the sensory experiences that we explore and then if you look at dhammas, dhamma is sometimes translated as uh, teaching Um, But I think it's more likely a a way to be in relationship to the sensing experience and to explore it in such a way that produces the insights that uh, are related to uh, enlightenment. Um, I think that uh, as I was reviewing this material earlier, uh, that um, it's probably a good idea to do this and in a couple of classes. So I'm going to do part of it today and then uh, part of it uh, next week. So the Dhammas are the five hindrances, the five aggregates, the six sense spheres, the seven awaking factors, uh, and the uh, four noble truths. One of the things about Buddhism is it's taught in lists, mainly because in the beginning, uh, it was an oral tradition for at least the three, first 300 years before it was written down. Uh, and then uh, it's easier to transmit or and remember uh, lists of things. If you have uh, in, any kind of uh, involvement in a meditation community that, that's Buddhist oriented, particularly Theravada, then what you'll uh, probably recognize in these uh, lists are things that you've heard before. The five hindrances are uh, desire or craving, aversion, sloth and torpor, restless and agitation, and skeptical doubt. And the opposite of the five hindrances is equanimity. So when you're investigating the sense experiences uh, as they arise, uh, not interfering with them, you may apply this uh, aspect of the five hindrances. Is the mind equanimous? That is, is it allowing of the experience as it is without needing to move away from it, without needing to move toward it? Or is the mind in a state of um, non-equanimity? Let's put it that way. So one of these states uh, of the five hindrances I, if you've sat with me before, probably uh, have introduced you to this as a a quadruple noting or triple noting. Um, So first noting for sensory clarity, uh, is it in see, hear, feel. If you wanna do a further division of that into see in, see out, hear in, hear out, feel in, feel out. You could do an even further division into Uh, see, uh, hear, feel, active or restful states, and then also the flow states. That would be the complete grid in Shinzen's system. But that would still just be tracking the sensory clarity of the the experience of the present moment. Vedna is the second aspect of that. Um, The feeling tone is the English word that's often used to describe it. Is the sensing experience itself pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? I like to think of it more in terms of contemporary neuroscience and understanding it in terms of processing speed. Does the experience that you're sensing require urgent attention? Does it not really require attention? Or if there's time, uh, uh, you do you want to experience something pleasant? And then mind is, um, I think really the the way that I think about mind is the direction of where your attention goes. Um, In each moment, um, the mind moves towards something, it moves away from something, it um, collects a series of mind moments. That would be the sensing experience of mind. So in Buddhism, we talk about six senses, uh, touching, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and that activity of mind. And then noticing uh, the quality of the mind state itself. So um, is the mind lustful? Is the mind angry? Is the mind deluded? Is the mind distracted? So uh, craving, aversion, aversion, unconsciousness, three uh, marks of existence, and then distracted as uh, as opposed to not concentrated. And then those would be considered the ordinary mind states. And then uh, the uh, higher mind states is the mind great, so expansive. And its awareness is the mind unsurpassable when we talk about the mind being surpassable or unsurpassable we're talking about high concentration states jhanic states is the mind uh in the fourth jhana which would be unsurpassable or is it one of the surpassable mind states is the mind concentrated or not that's different um and then liberated is the mind liberated or not and uh so then we come into the Dhammas, and what you may notice about this um, listing of things is that they tend to be overlapping in some sense. Um, go back to my list. I like to uh, refer to the list in order because my mind often rearranges things and that can be confusing. So we're not talking about necessarily whether the mind is engaged in one of these activities that are related to the mind. So noting in the third foundation, craving aversion, unconsciousness, or equanimity. Here, we're noticing in the Dhammas, the nature of sensual desire, the nature of aversion, the nature of sloth and torpor, the nature of restlessness and agitation, and the nature of skeptical doubt. So this would be a fourth noting of the experience of what's happening. An investigation of the quality of the experience of the present moment or the interpretation of it. We know what's happening through the experience of the capacity to sense it, but then the sensing experience itself is not the whole picture the processing and the creation of conceptual reality is the other piece. So we take in the sensing experience, we evaluate it for processing speed, and then it's compared to the perceptual database to make sense out of what the sensing experience is. So we have the object that can be sensed, the capacity to sense it when they meet, contact happens, which creates the consciousness of the sensing experience. And that conscious sensing experience is then compared to the perceptual database to see if there's an entry in the database that matches the pattern of sensing enough that we can identify what the present moment sensing experience is. If there is an entry in the database, we attach to the sensing experience or fixate the sensing experience and create conceptual reality out of the raw sensing data based on the a database. Or imagination, if we don't have an entry in the database that's close enough, we might be able to imagine or extrapolate what that sensing experience represents in the moment. Um, Noticing the presence or absence in the experience of doing that, whether there's desire, I te- typically talk about desire as wanting something different than what is, sensual desire. Uh, aversion is not wanting what is. But here we're talking about a mind that's slothful or sleepy. In meditation practice, particularly at the beginning, what you may notice is that when you close your eyes and attempt to settle in and explore the, the inner life, the body-mind has a tendency to want to go to sleep. Uh, you're triggering the cascade of experiences that when you close your eyes and relax and attempt to settle, that what you're supposed to do is go to sleep. And so the main uh, remedy for sloth and torpor is working on your meditation posture so that you train the mind out of going to sleep when you sit down to meditate. So using the same posture over and over again, uh, refining it so that you can sit for longer periods, is the best way to train yourself out of sloth and torpor. A second thing that can happen um, when you're doing insight practice is that you touch into material that the body-mind is uncomfortable having consciously, and so it shuts off. Uh, it shuts down the capacity to know it by putting you to sleep. So it's a way of avoiding uh, content that's uncomfortable. Restlessness or worried or restlessness and agitation is where the mind is too active. Um, We're talking about this in terms of energy levels also. If you remember in the description of the Satipatthana Sutta at the beginning, It describes four qualities that make up the meditation state. The first one is uh, diligence, which refers to energy. Too little energy and the mind becomes sleepy, too much energy, and it becomes restless and agitated. So another way to do this is to pay attention to the amount of energy and then to begin to moderate that. Uh, With the mind being restless and agitated, there's a couple of approaches to that. One is to relax the body-mind, to try and settle it. But sometimes that doesn't work. Uh, And so the other approach is to use something that requires more energy. So standing in place or walking meditation is often useful for a mind that's restless and agitated, consuming the energy through movement um, or effort Uh, to settle the mind down. Um, Doubt is skeptical doubt. Uh, This refers to a specific kind of doubt, which is that the path itself will lead to enlightenment. Um, Often when we're sitting in meditation thinking, why am I doing this? This is a waste of time. I'll never get anywhere. I'll never be able to get enlightened. All of that is uh, a manifestation of skeptical doubt. Um, but all other doubts seem to remain even if you're able to work through the skeptical doubt. So you may not doubt that the path will lead somewhere, but all of the other doubts that might arise in a given state, a situation seem to remain and uh, be able to activate. If arising, knowing the cause of the arising of one of these states, if the state is present, knowing the cause of why that state arose and if the uh, state is removed, knowing the causes of why that state would be removed is the complete investigation of this. So you're sitting down to meditate, you come into a place of balance, are you immediately able to get into a meditative state? and Are you able to stay there or do you notice that you're falling asleep? Or do you notice that the mind is uh, restless and agitated and not able to stay with the object of meditation? you notice that uh, you need to have that cup of tea urgently. Uh, that, you, that you can't wait the remaining three minutes of your meditation period because uh, the licorice tea is calling out to you. Um, aversion. Uh, you just not want to meditate, you have a hard time getting yourself to sit on the cushion for whatever reason. the reason that you want to begin to to notice those experiences in relationship to the sensing experiences or just the experiences of the present moment is because each of them has specific antidotes that you can use to settle them so that you can continue to go on to your uh, insight practice. Uh, In the way that the Satipatthana Sutta is constructed, you move through these different things uh, different uh, lists as a way of investigating and moving higher and higher up the list until you get to the place um, of uh, truly being able to investigate the Four Noble Truths. The next set, the next list is the aggregates. One of the things about Shinzen's system is, in some sense, it's a replacement for uh, the aggregates. When, um, this is probably 20 years ago or so, when when he was formulating this, uh, he often talked about it uh, at the time in relationship to the aggregates, although it's been quite a long time since he did that. Um, Material form, feeling tone, cognition, volition, and consciousness is this investigation so material form or rupa the the, the body itself uh, so in shinzen's uh, the reason i keep poking at Shinzen's system is because that's the techniques that we use to explore this we'll use them later so that would be feeling uh, or feel in his part it's just the, the felt sense of the body and then exploring feeling tone so First we note for uh, nama rupa or just just rupa, just body. And then feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, that's again just related to the sensing experience itself before it goes through the process of perception. Cognition is this process of knowing what it is, that's the comparing it to the, the perceptual database. Volition is What are you going to do in response to that experience of the present moment so uh, the way that i normally describe this is that you have the object that can be sensed the capacity to sense them when they meet contact is formed which creates the consciousness of the sensing experience which is compared to the perceptual database if there's a close enough match in the perceptual database the unformulated unfixated sensing experiences becomes conceptual reality which is projected outward and in this process of forming conceptual reality the way that you're going to respond to the conditions of the present moment is part of that. So your volition, the action that you're going to take in response to the conditions of the present moment. And then the last one is consciousness. Consciousness uh, could also be talked about in terms of the this experience of self that often arises when you create conceptual reality. The relationship of your experience to your perception of conceptual reality. I am causing this, I am doing this, this is happening to me, I'm controlling this, I'm the author of this. This is what I am going to do in response to What's happening in the present moment is consciousness. Consciousness is there as long as the consciousness of the sensing experience is there. So, as long as there's contact, that whole process is unfolding. And as soon as the uh, contact between the sense object and the capacity to sense is broken, that whole system collapses, including the the sense of "I am doing this in response to the." conditions of the present moment. And so the investigation is meant to include all of these different aspects. One of the ways that we do this in in meditation is to sit without the volition to do anything. And then to notice that the body-mind simply continues to do it anyway without our intending to do it. So we see into the nature that there is no self causing all of this to happen. That actually we are a process or a condition, um, a conditioned phenomenon. Maybe really that responds to each sensing experience. We're reactive. How Dan Brown would put that. So exploring the body as just a material body. In the, the first of the Satipatthana sutras, there's a whole series of meditations that you might do to do that. Then the feeling tone. In the way that I typically uh, a direct meditation, there's the first note for the, the see, hear, feel aspect, the sensory clarity aspect of it. The second is feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The third is cognition, knowing what it is. So. Knowing where your attention is, soaking into the sensing experience of it, understanding that the intention and action that you might take in response to that volition arises, and you know that as well. And then understanding um, what is the sense of I amness in the moment, each of these moments. So, um, noting first, see, her feel, noting second, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Noting as uh, the third one, um, uh, craving, aversion, unconsciousness, or equanimity. And, and then in the fourth, uh, noting um, any of the first list or any of the second list is the mind craving, aversive, uh, restless, agitated full of doubt, or uh, some kind of self-reflective meditation, is uh, the sense of self strongly present or not strongly present? Is that making sense? Any questions about that so far? One of the things that I, I always like to say is that I'm not asking you to pay attention to something that hasn't always been happening. It's always been happening. Um, You just may not have paid attention to it in order to know it. Um, The sense spheres, the six sense spheres, um, and you may notice that there's overlap in all of these lists is the this process that i've mentioned just a moment ago the object that can be sensed and the capacity to sense it when they meet Uh, the activity of of seeing happens say a visual object meets the capacity to, to sense visual objects when they meet contact arises and the visual experience arises, which then can lead to the arising of the ten fetters. This is, again, directly related to the four-path model of Theravada Buddhism of what enlightenment is. And to notice um, in the fetters arising in relationship to the sense experiences, And again, you'll notice quite a bit of overlap here. The first three fetters are um, belief that religious ceremony and enlightenment are the same thing. The second is that there's an experience of self that is intrinsic, continuous, uh, uninterrupted, ongoing, solid. Uh, And the third one is skeptical doubt. The fourth one is craving. The fifth one is aversion. The sixth one is desire for material existence. The seventh one is the desire for immaterial existence. The eighth one is sloth and torpor. The ninth one is restless agitation. And the the last one is uh, conceit. Oh, how enlightened I am. Oh, what a great meditator I am. Oh, all of the different uh, things you might uh, put in that sentence. So this is in the sensors exploring how those experiences arise in that moment of sensing as it arises. You're you're hearing a familiar theme of craving, aversion, restlessness, and agitation, consciousness. out can you be in the experience of the present moment in the state of equanimity where you're simply allowing the experiences uh, as we as human beings in this uh, form can take in those experiences can you watch the way that, that the sensing experience is converted into conceptual reality through the exploration in that moment of the database that you use uh, to understand the unfixated sensing experience and create the perception of the world around you and also the perception of self. This is meditation and attachment, so we often talk about this in terms of attachment theory. and One of the experiences Um, that's so illustrative of this is the Ideal Parent Figure Protocol. And the reason that the Ideal Parent Figure Protocol, which is a a meditation that's based on the Tibetan Mahamudra practice of visualizing is so useful is because you are asked to intentionally visualize something, which means you're drawing on the database and uh, manifesting it. Uh, So that you can see in the way that you manifest something, the nature of the database, how it is you visualize something, relates to what's in the database and what you can know. And then it also uh, is illustrative of the imagination. Often the conditioning restricts the capacity of the imagination uh, uh, to perceive what's actually happening. I like to talk about this in terms of quantum physics, uh, because the modeling there is uh, quite uh, um, descriptive, I think, of actually what our experience is. In each moment, what's arrayed in front of us in the next moment is the full array of potentialities. Every possible choice that we could make is laid out in front of us. And we could choose any one of them. If we could see that they were there to choose, which is where the limitation of the imagination comes in, the limitation limitation of view comes in. If our view is limited through conditioning so that we restrict ourselves from being able to see the full range of potentialities in the present moment, then we can't know that they're there to choose them. And so the conditioning restricts the, the, the path that we can take. Uh, sansara is often the word a rut where the ox wheels fall in. If you can open up your view and see things clearly the way that they are, then what you can also see is the full potentiality of everything, all of the choices that are available to you in the next moment, and then you would be free to choose whatever you wanted. In choosing something, of course, that's the thing that becomes, and all of the rest of the potentialities are lost. But in that moment, what opens up in the next moment is the full range of potentialities that you could choose from. Um, moving through this process of choice and, and fixating and then opening, the, the range of possibilities can change quite a bit. In, in Buddhism, we call it uh, um, beneficial and, and afflictive uh, experiences, you create good karma by making consistently good choices, uh, beneficial choices, then the array of potentialities that open up to you are beneficial, whereas if you make a series of afflictive choices, then the range of potentialities that open up are afflictive in nature at any time, of course. That full range is there. One of the things that you begin to understand as you do this exploration, of course, is that most of this process is unconscious. But really we know only the end part of it as it enters into a conscious awareness. I like to uh, think of it as the veto button. Uh, so if the object can be sensed, the capacity to sense that they meet, contact is made, the consciousness arises, it's compared to the perceptual database, the perceptual database creates conceptual reality, which is per- projected outward, which includes volition, which is sent to consciousness. Do you really want to do this now? And if you're mindful and you, you decide you don't want to, you can cancel it. And the, uh, I, I like to think of it in sort of uh, post-apocalyptic terms, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, little booth, Loading high up on top of the crane with a big red veto button and it starts to flash and you can hit it and stop the action. But if you're not mindful and nobody's present there, then it flashes and the moment that you could hit it passes and then you're into the action. An example of that would be you're about to say something and you get three words into the sentence and then you realize this is really bad and you stop yourself from completing the sentence and then your your person says to you, what, what were you saying? And you you make something up completely different. <laughs> Say that instead. Not necessarily unskillful. Um, watching that whole process, knowing that in each of these moments it unfolds consciously, that actually the, the main part of your activity as a human being is just the automatic conditioned responses to sensing experience. And so one of the reasons that meditation is so useful for this is that it really does work in the procedural memory uh, affecting the database directly, so that if you practice in a good way, what you notice is that you simply begin to make different choices that are more skillful, and that you have to hit the veto bus button less often. In the way that the Satipatthana Sutta described practice, you have all of these different lists that you can use to investigate uh, this process. But I really like the ideal parent figure uh, protocol as a way of doing it because it's so specific and we're so invested in the experience of it that it it requires the level of attention uh, that is uh, necessary to see these things in real time as they unfold. And then you can affect directly the procedural database so that the the body-mind has the opportunity to to choose differently. If the only way that we could get these things to change uh, and move ourselves in the direction of more uh, beneficial responses to things was to catch it after we've done it, We're going to miss too many of the things that happen in order to really uh, effectively change uh, the the karma that we're experiencing. Um, It's one thing to catch it quickly and repair it. It's another thing to just choose something altogether and do that instead so that there's no need to repair the, the situation. Um, it is very important, though, to pay attention and to repair as fast as you can. You can repair something after two seconds that after 15 minutes is going to be much harder, that after two days you may not be able to repair. Um, certainly there's a, there's a shelf life on the capacity for people to accept uh, repair. We are human beings and we are meant to live in social groups. And so we want to be skillful at developing this capacity to live in uh, social groups. Uh, We are meant to explore the way that we find real meaning in our lives is through this process of exploration. And in order to really go for it, we need to be supported by a community of people that will be uh, encouraging and supportive of that exploration. And we need to be able to tell people everything about it so that it, it is this, uh, um, that we're really free to, to explore and we are we have a, a way of evaluating how we're doing. So we need to be able to put these, these small groups of people around ourselves that support us as we do that. And so uh, conditioning can often affect how we do that so one of the, the the uh processes of this is to really figure out how we hold the experience of ourselves how we hold the experience of others and how we can really um, make those relationships work for us so that we can really get out onto the edges of that's finding meaning in you know, the experience of our life is that all making sense if you want? Um, next time we'll go into the remaining aspects of the, of the teaching on this. Um, so the seven awakening factors and the Four Noble Truths. But tonight what I thought we would do is um, do a, a quadruple noting practice. So we'll stack up uh, different investigations first noting for sensory clarity, then we'll note for feeling tone, then we'll note for craving aversion, unconsciousness, or equanimity, and then we'll do a self-inquiry practice. Is the, 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 the self clearly present, subtly present, or not present? And we'll stack them up. Any questions about that before we begin the meditation? Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. called the default processing mode of the mind. If you don't engage the mind in something, it just does that thing that you're talking about. And the studies uh, really do show that the longer you allow yourself to do that, the more negative the, the evaluations become. So a default mode uh, network means that you're not actively engaging the mind in something. So the fastest way out of that is to actively engage the mind in something and to counteract the, the increasingly negative outcomes of those summations. And this is not you. It's all of us. All of us do this. If we don't engage the mind, it just goes into this activity and Uh, um, And for some reason, the results are always bad. uh, So that uh, you just have to engage the mind. And one of the things that's a direct uh, antidote to that that is to engage your mind uh, in positivity. So engage the mind in visualizing yourself as your very best self. Engage the mind in visualizing yourself in an exploration Where you get everything that you want and that would be a good counteractivity of that and it's an an active engagement so the mind doesn't fall back into that that default mode network so it's an active engagement but it could be anything any active engagement of the mind will shut off that process because it's the absence of the active engagement that causes it to turn on how's that Um, well, uh, I would then ramp up the, the complexity of the engagement, so there's no bandwidth left. I mean, people play solitaire for that reason, and they play video games for that reason. All of those things engage that aspect of the mind, so that you're actively engaged in something and not falling back into that. But if that's not enough, then you have to get something really much more engaging to to get yourself out of it. Good? Someone else? All right, let's do some practice. So how did that go? No problem slicing and dicing experience. Yeah. So is the sense of self clearly present, subtly present or not present? So did you have the sense that, typically what I, I, I'll describe the experience. There's the sense of the, I am meditating, I am making all of these choices, which would be clearly present. There's the sense of the subtle self that's observing what's going on. The, the Georgeness is there, but not uh, the experience of being totally in control and choosing everything, that would be subtly present. Where there's no experience, there's no georgeness present, which uh, is, an, is pretty unusual in, in ordinary householder life. Is that clear enough? Do you have a sense of Steven that you notice arises in intensity and sometimes is not so intense? Yeah, that's it. But that particular meditation is known as a self inquiry meditation. Someone else? Jason? I would probably note the one because it it, it has a tendency to you know, incline you more toward equanimity than stacking them up, which has a tendency to incline you toward more suffering. Jinzen uh, always says that they're multipliable. So uh, craving aversion and unconsciousness all around the same thing uh, creates uh, you know, much more suffering than just having equanimity with it. Well, I think that your interpretation was probably correct. You want something different. You want to be out of pain. At the same time, you don't want the pain. And then, uh, did you notice whether the mind was distracting you from being in Awareness of the pain and taking you into thought as a way of escaping it. Yeah. So then that that's the that's just that experience of, of not being an equanimous with the pain. So then attempting really simply to allow the pain to be there, without needing to change it. But uh, is it is a physical in, in injury that causes the pain or just the posture? Every, a chair. Right. Yeah, so that might also be a, a an attachment to the the posture, the sitting posture. Uh, and that um maybe alternating uh, between that and the chair. One of the problems of being in a Western body is that um, we're we're not really designed to sit on the floor. That is to say, we haven't grown up sitting on the floor so our tendons and muscles and joints are all not stretched in a way that makes that comfortable. Uh, it's not that the, the Buddha know devise this special posture for sitting it's just they don't have chairs. <laughs> we did that we we developed postures that are perfectly suited to sitting in chairs because that's how we did it. So you might consider that. Mm-hmm. Someone else yeah Right? Well, um, in some sense, just the, 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 the clarification of that has a tendency to push in the direction of equanimity. Um, the, um, but yeah, in, in Vipassana, you're not doing anything intentionally, you're just observing what's happening. They're not one thing. Right. (laughs) Sit longer. Um, So, What was unpleasant about it? Okay. So, fearfulness. Right. And then, did you go on to the fourth note? Okay. Another way that you can, uh, you begin to develop equanimity with not wanting is because you just go on to the next inquiry. You don't get, you don't hang up on it. Uh, And so you just cycle over and over again. And then that repetition of noticing it and not getting caught up in identifying um, you know, the sense of not wanting, and then the sense of, oh, poor me, which would be a very clear sense of self. I'm suffering so much. That would be a very clear sense of self. Um, would be the fourth note, and then you come back again to the first note. But then. Right. Right. But you didn't notice that eventually the mind got tired of it and moved on to something else. Well, um, that's just the nature of, of the mind. Something snags it for a moment and it, in, that it's there and then it moves on to something else when it's no longer interesting. And you begin to push through the uh, what seemed to be uh, really challenging experiences um, over and over again and then they become uh, each time you do that less and less challenging. it's it's just the natural process of it. One of the reasons we do the long sitting on the retreat is because you push through all of those uh, discomforts in the body pretty quickly and then they're not that they're just not that they don't have as much grab as they do um, if you haven't been able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Someone else? Keith? Right. Right. So then you what you're describing is the, the nature of the untrained mind, of course, always pulling away from pain or unpleasant experiences, craving positive, pleasant experiences and being disinterested in mutual experiences and how the the self uh, intensifies or or falls away based on what that experience is. Um, If you were caught up in thinking what was the experience of self in that, often you're just completely unconscious. There's no experience of self in that. So um, uh, the insights that we are wanting you to have by doing this practice, you've just essentially described. That the aversive activity tends to create a strong sense of self. The the greater the lack of equanimity, the greater the the sense of self. The greater the sense of self, the greater the sense of suffering. Good. Someone else? All right. Good. Um, (laughs) Good. So let's see on saturday i'm doing a uh, dharma maps day long so okay. we'll go through the first uh eight uh, stages of insight um the we'll review the first five which we've already covered and then go into the knowledge of the miseries which is six seven and eight uh unsurprisingly uh The knowledge of the miseries are the fearfulness that arises when you see that there is no sense of, there is no permanent self, the misery that arises when you realize that everything is impermanent and the disgust that you feel being stuck in a human body, which will grow old and get sick and die. Um, Yeah, there is. Yeah, and sign up. Um, And then uh, toward the end of the summer, we're gonna do a series of day longs on the level one meditation and attachment training, which is uh, covering the basic um, information about attachment theory and how to work with it using meditation. We'll we'll do a, a meditation for Attachment relationships, which we'll talk mainly about how secure collaborative relationships work and uh, what to do about that. We will be starting a level two this fall, I think in November. Uh, level two is a much deeper dive into the uh, meditation and attachment material and includes the ideal parent figure protocol. And then we're going to do a retreat uh, on the week between Christmas and New Year's, a virtual retreat for six days, so all of that's up on the website, take a look at it. Um, I offer this teaching on a Donna basis. is the poly word for generosity. Um, I offer the teaching freely uh, and you're free to partake in it. Uh, But if you're able to make a donation, we really do appreciate that. It helps support me and also support the work that MetaGroup is doing. There should be a link for the donation in the email you received or if you go onto the website uh, there's a link for making donations associated with this class. Uh, next week, we'll finish the, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta as it's written, and then the following week, we'll do some IPF with uh, Satipatthana Sutta as a, as a framework for exploring that aspect of it. Thank you, and uh, see you soon. Thanks for coming. Bye. Yeah? No, because, uh, it's, I'm going to review everything that's been covered so far and then go further in. So it should be fine. Alrighty. Bye now.